Welcome to episode number 14 of the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, where Christina and I interviewed Dr. Eric Helms, one of the most influential individuals in the evidence-based health and fitness space. Dr. Helms is not only incredibly smart, but is beyond humble about everything he has accomplished for our community. He completed his PhD at Auckland University in New Zealand on training autoregulation, is a coach and chief science officer for Team 3DMJ, one of the leading teams of coaches in natural bodybuilding, and continues to pour out science-backed, reliable content on his own podcast, Iron Culture, and spread the good word of science and fitness. This was a really, really great discussion. We knew we wanted to overview Eric's books, The Muscle and Strength Pyramids, because they set a wonderful foundation for you, the listener, who's looking to better prioritize your efforts in your health and fitness journeys. However, we got on a couple of really great tangents about the pros and cons of myth-busting and science communication and overviewed the pyramids at a conceptual level, really getting into why these hierarchies are important for you, our listener, to better fine-tune your BS detector when scrolling through social media and have a framework for how to set your own diet and training up in a way that will make you successful. We want to thank Eric for his time and this wonderful conversation, and we hope you all enjoy it just as much as we did. As always, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, all we ask is that you share this episode with a friend, family member, or coworker who would benefit from it. One share can go a really long way and supports our mission to help as many people as possible to live a healthier, sustainable lifestyle. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode, number 14, our amazing interview with Dr. Eric Helms on myth-busting and the muscle and strength pyramids. All right, what's up, and welcome back to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, everybody. We are so honored and excited today to be introducing a very special guest, Um, He is the 3DMJ Chief Science Officer and Coach. He is a host of the Iron Culture Podcast, uh, who we are avid listeners of, um, and has a number of other things to his name, a doctorate degree in strength and conditioning. Uh, He's a pro-natural bodybuilder, powerlifter, dabbles in Olympic lifting, competed in strongman last year, lots of lots of other things dare i say influencer in the evidence-based practice uh space uh but we're super excited to have him on today and uh we'll get into what we're actually going to talk about in a second but i just wanted to say thank you uh dr eric helms for coming on today to our show and we're super excited to have you Um, if you wouldn't mind doing the honors of introducing yourself and your background to our audience no, absolutely. It's a, it's a true pleasure. I appreciate the, the introduction and I will gladly take the title of influenza as my colleague Omar would say. Um, yeah, I think uh, to, to introduce myself, you know, uh, just to flesh out what you said is I'm essentially just someone who got far too obsessed with lifting weights. Uh, it started as something of, you know, being quote unquote bit by the iron bug and something I love doing. And then it became a way that I found an outlet for self-expression, uh, an intellectual pursuit uh, and then a career, uh, and essentially the pathway to becoming a very one-dimensional person with very few life skills, uh, but knows everything and more than is whatever needed to be known about lifting weights. So yeah, no, I'm in all seriousness, I'm I'm a research fellow out here in New Zealand. 
uh, with the Auckland University of Technology where I supervise masters and PhD students. So I conduct research, I write about it for mass, I talk about it in iron culture, and I advise people on how to best use it in their practice, like my colleagues at 3DMJ. And I, of course, try to integrate it into my own uh, multi-varied strength and physique pursuits. So that's me, and, uh, and it's an honor to be here. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great introduction. And um, so we were coming up with what we wanted to talk about on, on our show today with you, because we knew we wanted to have you on. We didn't actually think you would say yes. Um, and then you did. So we were like, oh, crap, let's uh, figure out, you know, exactly what we want him to speak on, because there are a lot of things that uh, are under your expertise. Uh, but specifically, we kind of pinpointed either we wanted to talk about maybe your doctoral research, you know, RPE progression in training, or maybe a more, I guess, higher level conversation about the muscle and strength pyramids. So these are a set of two books that Eric has authored that have been just a really great guide for a lot of people to know exactly what and why they, they're doing what they're doing with training and nutrition. And it really sets up a good foundation for critical thinking and not just taking things at face value. And I think that that's super important. Um, so these are the muscle and strength pyramids um, and they're exactly what they sound like. Um, some pyramids with different levels and uh, increasing um, importance as you go down through the base of the pyramid. Uh, but I would just, I guess we can just intro this topic by asking you, Eric, what was the need in the industry at the time when you wrote these books and kind of what was the background surrounding that? No, that's a great question. And I actually like talking about the framing of this because these actually started as YouTube videos. Um, the, the nutritional one I did in 2012, it was a series of videos that lasts between 15 to 20 minutes um, where I created this hierarchy understanding of nutrition, a lens for people to uh, set their priorities and what to focus on first. And what led to this was actually our Skype coaching program that we developed the 3D Muscle Journey. So we started as pretty much just doing contest prep, working with physique athletes, helping them through their, uh, uh, their, their preps and their off seasons. And as we expanded and we got a little more popular, a uh, little, little known in influenza named Matt Ogus, I got to work with. And all of a sudden we had this huge demand for non-competitors who had uh, physique goals that were recreational. So we ended up deciding to start an off-season coaching list. And I don't think we realized how much, uh, how many requests we'd get. And we ended up with this huge backlog that we were just feeling terrible about. So our solution to that was to create this Skype program. Like, hey, we don't have the, the bandwidth right now to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with you like we do our, 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 our athletes. But we're happy to do, say, every few months, we touch base, we write a program, we talk to you about your goals and what you know, what you don't know, what you're missing, what you have questions about. And uh, one day my wife looked over to me and I'd finished my, my fourth Skype call of the week. And she was like, you know, I feel like I could do your Skype calls. And I was like, you know, you probably can because everyone seems to have the same problem. Like they have landed on us. They've come to 3D Muscle Journey, which means they've, you know, they're, they're not in the, I'll say the, the kind of the transient fitness market where you get bounced around a bunch of BS and then you finally go, all right, I need to, to find something that's more legitimate. And you trend to looking towards the, the evidence-based community. So it wasn't for lack of knowledge. They had come to us with some level of understanding and they had, they had knowledge about peri-workout nutrition. They had knowledge about the value of macronutrients, energy balance, uh, the understanding of volume intensity, everything I go over in the pyramid. 
but the nature of the way information is presented online, even in the evidence-based community, is that everything is always the most important thing when I write about it right now or when you watch it. Um, you know, we, we figured out how to take the best parts, eh, best is a reasonable interpretation maybe, of the general fitness community that's good at marketing, but pretty light on content or actual utility and going, all right, well, we need to have a little bit of that kind of walk in the fine line of clickbait to draw people in. You know, and this at the time would have been things on like blogs and, and the burgeonings of YouTube. So people were basically operating on kind of a fear of missing out. It was like FOMO, you know, like, oh, oh shit, if I don't have the new supplement or if I don't have peri-workout nutrition or if I don't do this. And I would have people who knew everything but did not know how to apply it and were just paralyzed by their neuroticism. And I ended up basically trying to help them be like, look, let's, let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's focus on this first, that first, that first, that first. And it became so ubiquitous in my experience as a consultant that I was like, I'm really tired of doing this. I want to give people just like, go watch these videos. It'll solve all your problems. Um, and then fast forward, you know, three years later, I had done the training version of it as a video. And then fast forward a year after that, Andrew Valdez, who came on and got incorporated and is now our director of operations at 3DMJ, and she's worked with us for the last six years, and it's been fantastic, suggested, you know, these could be books, and they'd be really good. Um, and I saw that there was a, a colleague of mine, Andy Morgan, who is from the UK, living in Japan. He's, some, he's, he's really good at taking information and simplifying it. And he had made an article version of, of the pyramids. So there was clearly a demand, they were very popular. So there's clearly a demand. So I partnered with Andy and I partnered with Andrea and we got together and we created the books and they were much more successful than I would have anticipated. I th we thought they were going to be like a, uh, a quick PDF curated type of guide, but they ended up being something that people were raving about. And I don't, I, I, that sound, it's difficult for me to say that, but it made me realize just how rare it was that people were able to synthesize things and express them in a way that gave people a sense of priority rather than the sense of being overwhelmed by all the potential pathways they could go that are quote unquote evidence-based. So I think that that is the frame that that's why there's the, the hierarchy. That's why I was like, Hey, you know, we're going to build the foundation first, you know, in the, in the case of nutrition, for example, you know, but we're going to worry about energy balance before we start worrying about the top say supplements. Um, so that's just one example, but, but that was the, the impetus and the, uh, the motivation that, that, that drove them and the experiences. Cause you originally said that these, they started out as just transcribed, like you were transcribing the YouTube videos, right? Yeah. So the way it started is Andrea saw these as a quick PDF we could sell for like, you know, $5 and just make it easy because people could hit, hit control F, you know, but it would just be a transcription. So the process was all right. Andrea is going to watch the, the nutrition videos, put them down. Andy's already written articles about this on both sides. So we're just going to make it into a more readable format, change my wording. And then Eric, you go through and edit it. Um, and then of course, the, the perfectionist nature and the fact that I was now in the middle of my, my grad school and, and going and doing my PhD, it started as like, that, oh, that was the skeleton that then grew organs and and, and muscles, and by the way, great delts on this, on this structure we're building and, <laughs> and like hair and, and, and like a career and, and like this whole life. So it became something that eventually had, you know, I think there's 400 references between the two of them and the, uh, in the second edition, there are appendices. Um, they're, they're not short books. They're, they have become uh, the, 
my like the everything I've learned and that I can feel comfortable communicating to people in, in terms of broad recommendations. But yeah, the intention originally was let's make a PDF version of these videos mm -hmm. and make it digestible for people. Well, Marissa and I have the books and we can say that you are correct and they are not short. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think you made a really good point when you talk about how, you know, there's only, I feel like when at the time, you know, there were magazines and there were articles and there were blogs, you can only write about the core things you should focus on for so long until it becomes redundant. And then it's like, well, what can we write about next? And so when you write an article about a brand new supplement, it's like, that's what you mean. It can just get so overwhelming. It's like all this new information when really it's just about simplifying it and focus on. And um, we actually had a, an interview the other day about um, like your, basically your, your mental capacity and how much you can handle at one time. And so focusing on one thing, getting that down, and then you can move on to the next thing. So I think that the, the pyramids are just a great visualization for people to focus, to see what they need to focus on first. Yeah, Thank definitely. you, Christina. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's actually, sorry, Marissa, I was gonna say, ahead, go this ahead. is the, one of the very first things when I get a new client, it's like one of the first things that I reference them to. Cause it's like, this is what we need to focus on before we can start moving on. So it's, it literally is one of the greatest things for new clients. Yeah. And I was going to say exactly that because that's the, that's the main complaint that I get when I see a new client come in and they're like, okay, I need you as a coach because there is just too much information. Like I'm so confused. Everyone says that something else is the next best thing and that I have to focus on it all the time. And so being able to actually filter through that information is the biggest challenge today because social media is so dominant. And everyone on social media who's ever lifted a weight is now shouting about what the best way to eat is or what the best way to train is. And so while I would love to, you know, just have my coaching service to be to pawn off your books and be like, here, go read this, uh, use them and, uh, you know, get back to me when all your problems are solved. Uh, I would also love that for the record. <laughs> um, and then I'll get 5% commission and that's, that's our, mm -hmm. our deal moving forward No, But, um, in all seriousness, like, while I would love to just throw those books at people and be like, here, go read this and like, understand it, apply it. You're good. Then comes the problem of like, okay, well, these people don't want to do that. So Christina and I, we mainly coach and we do have some competitors, but we do mainly coach very general population clients and they just want to live a healthier, sustainable lifestyle. And that's the goal of this podcast is to help as many people as possible to live a healthier, sustainable lifestyle. So I think talking about these books and, you know, in our practice, coaching people one-on-one -on -one and teaching them the principles of how to actually order out this information is one of the most important things that we can do because I can already tell you probably five or six conversations that I've had this week one-on-one -on -one with clients about things like black and white thinking, good and bad foods, uh, better or worse ways to train, um, and, you know, I had a client yesterday tell me that, you know, she's like, I want to eat more fruit. And, and I just, I know it's good for me, but every time I like pick up a piece of fruit, I'm like, oh, that's so much sugar. But I know that Marissa said that, you know, we have to focus on, you know, just getting in more fruits and vegetables and, and just overall calorie adherence first. 
but it's like they have these walls up and they have these heuristics that they've been relying on for so long because they've just been shouted at for like what 10 years now on on the internet <laughs> mm-hmm. i think another yeah. really good aspect of the pyramids is i think again some people get so caught up in what their favorite influencers are doing, or they see this brand new supplement line. So they think that they need to be spending all this money on supplements. And that's why they kind of think that there's a barrier to health and, and fitness because they, have, they feel like they're spending so much money. And so I think it's just a really good way to say, hey, before you focus on any of that, like, let's start here. Like, let's just start very, very basic. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love it. It's because it just, it helps them fine tune what really matters. Yeah, the intention was always to create uh, a framework to have the, the ability to start a conversation. And I like that you guys are acknowledging the utility for non-competitors, because while I certainly wrote it in mind for my people, you know, the uh, us crazy people who like to uh, get mostly naked in front of strangers competitively, uh, or those of us who like to lift one thing that's really heavy once and then pretend <laughs> we're athletes. Um, <laughs> the the application it's it's permissive you know so you don't need to climb to the top of the pyramid you don't need to scour every reference in that book or use every element if it is not if the juice is not worth the squeeze you know uh for example when i discuss volume in the training book i talk about how uh you can do 10 plus sets per week and on average that will net you you know a third more gains than only doing one to five sets per week but you can also, and a bodybuilder would go, sweet, I definitely want one third more gains. But a, a smart person who is not trying to live the life of bodybuilding would go, hold on, are you telling me I can do one set per muscle group per week? And there's a decent chance I'll get like two thirds of the effectiveness of someone doing 10 times as much work. And the answer is yes. So I think when your goal is to how to have the maximal impact on your life with the least uh, consumption of neurotic, neurotic materials and, 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 and disruptions to the things you love, um, you get to decide and, and permit yourself to climb that, that, that pyramid as high as you want. Um, and I tried to provide options of, hey, here are, here are non-tracking options. If, if tracking your calories or tracking your food is, is, is a huge barrier, or even you have a, a poor relationship with, here are some other ways to do it. Uh, and then I have appendices on and by the way, if you're getting on stage, here's how you manipulate every macronutrient in the final week, et cetera, et cetera. So while I am certainly more of an expert in physique and strength sport, um, many principles do overlap, of course, from a physiological basis. And I try to put them into practical terms uh, in, in such a way that they could be applied regardless of, of the extremity of your goal, if that makes sense. And, it, and it's good to see and hear you guys reflect that it's useful uh, with your clientele as well. So that's really encouraging. Yeah. And I think I really like what you said about um, allowing yourself to climb up the hierarchy because you don't have to. And a lot of the people listening here might not get past that second tier of macronutrients or volume, intensity, and frequency for training. And that's okay. And they're still going to make amazing progress doing that. And I think Christina and I do a lot of our work with our clients just working on those first two levels. Um, and so we haven't actually defined this yet. So I'm like getting into like all of these levels and let's just give the audience here an overview of these two pyramids, uh, what the levels are um, and just kind of going over brief definitions of, of each level. 
Absolutely. So we've got the nutrition pyramid um, and it's, it's a pyramid with multiple levels, but underneath it all and what encompasses the whole thing is behavior and lifestyle. And I always like to preface uh, the pyramid layers with that because it encompasses everything. And uh, your behavior and lifestyle should be the foundation. And I like to keep that in there because um, anytime you start to track or measure or modify a variable, it comes sometimes at the, at the cost potentially of a behavior and lifestyle that you've currently adopted. And you need to think of that as, as a coach or even just for yourself, uh, that there is a cost to changing these things, that a diet is not necessarily a, a neutral thing to do. There, there, there is, you know, people develop eating disorders, people develop body image issues, people can have very negative experiences if the diet is set up poorly. Um, or maybe if they shouldn't be dieting, but they're, they're forging ahead. Uh, so I think that is always should be the, the overarching theme is behavior and lifestyle. And there's an equivalent for training that I'll get into. And then the base of the pyramid, uh, the idea is if these are again, the muscle and strength pyramids, but this has to do with modifying body composition or strength uh, is gonna be energy balance. So being, so understanding the simple concept that if I want to change my body mass uh, and if I wanna change my body composition, uh, it's going to be most importantly achieved by whether or not I'm in a calorie surplus or a calorie deficit if my goals are to add mass to my body or reduce mass from my body. From there, the next layer is, well, what is the contribution to that energy surplus or deficit, or maybe just not eating in either, but at maintenance and trying to do a recomp, and that is the various macronutrients. So that's protein, carbs, fat, um, and you know, th these are going to have a significant difference, you know, depending even in the same surplus or deficit, if you had a, a low or high protein diet, for example, uh, or if you had a very, very low or very, very high fat uh, diet or, or carbs, uh, but they don't have as much of an impact. They don't change thermodynamics in terms of actual mass changes. So that's why they're, they're next up the pyramid, but they're still, like you said, they might encompass pretty much everything someone looks at, uh, or is there their primary things they, they change. And after that is micronutrients. And this is, uh, of course, incredibly important. Like you wouldn't want to have a, a deficiency in a vitamin or a mineral because uh, that could have health consequences. But most well-constructed diets that have a decent macronutrient balance and are consisted of whole foods uh, are going to get you a good micronutrient balance, which is why they're uh, the rationale for being next up in the pyramid. But they are very important. Then after that, we get to kind of the upper echelon of the stuff that you really don't need to worry about that much and can kind of happen automatically unless you really have uh, you're at the point maybe where you've incorporated all these other behaviors and you think, you know what, I, I, I could dot some I's and cross some T's because I've got, you know, a couple of years under my belt of, of really having a diet that, that meets all the, the ideal requirements for everything lower in the pyramid. And now I want to do some more. Or if you're getting into a, a competitive sport or you have really advanced level goals and you do want to try to maximize your, your outcomes, that's when we get into uh, everything that I put under the category of nutrient timing which is everything from when do you have protein around training? Do you eat you know, different amounts of carbohydrate or fat around training? All the way to potential nonlinear dieting strategies like using refeeds, diet breaks, anything related to the temporal distribution of nutrients uh, falls under, under this. You know, is it worth thinking about modifying the number of meals you eat per day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's important to note that a lot of emphasis goes into this in the general nutrition community. And it, it is the second to least most important or the second least important thing in the pyramid, uh, despite the fact that, you know, intermittent fasting and, uh, you know, all kind and, and, you know, the five and two diets and the warrior diet, and you can think of many different ones, carb backloading, 
that are emphasizing this. And yeah, that's not good. Uh, and then finally, uh, we have the very top of the pyramid, which you could even argue is not necessary because it's supplemental, is supplements. So dietary supplements are things that should supplement an already set up diet. So it is only makes sense that they're at the very top uh, and something that you would worry about only after everything else is in place and, and uh, optimized, if you will. So that's the training pyramid, uh, the equivalent, sorry, that's the nutrition pyramid, the training pyramid, the equivalent kind of overarching theme is periodization. And periodization is just the concept of manipulating variables to get a outcome that you want while minimizing the risk of burnout and injury. So that encompasses everything. And that's why I use that kind of as the uh, similar theme to behavior and lifestyle. And uh, also in that vein, the very bottom of the pyramid is, is adherence. Um, so unlike nutrition, you don't have to train. You do have to eat to live. Uh, last time I checked, um, heritarians are, are furious with me right now, but the, 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 the training is not something that you must do. It's something that you will benefit from. Uh, but many people will set themselves up for failure because they will follow a cookie cutter routine, or like you mentioned, something that their influencer says they should do which has no respect to the fact that they may be a single mother of three with two full-time jobs uh, or a full-time student. And this four day per week program is really just unrealistic for them and actually is a net negative. And they would be better off finding the most optimal situation given the constraints, maybe only training two or three days per week. But you just won't find many two or three day per week training programs out there because all the people who write training programs are obsessed with lifting like me. So. <laughs> You know, I, I think that that's something that really needs to be said. So it starts with the adherence chapter and saying, look, um, ignore the idea of optimal. This is a pie in the sky idea for, for researchers to, to, to debate about. But even then, we never get there in research. What you need to think about is what are the constraints of my life? And then within that, what's the best way I can set things up? So it's always the uh, that, that, that optimal is, is has to be tailored to the, the pragmatic limits of what you can do. And that chapter is all about that. From there, it goes into volume, intensity, and frequency. And this is basically how much work you're doing, uh, the, the load and the effort of it, that's intensity, and then how you distribute it and understanding that manipulating any single one of these automatically changes the other. You can't do a set of 10 with 90% of your 1RM. So that's the inextricable relationship between volume and intensity. Uh, likewise, if you were to train three days in a row, uh, training the same exercise to failure, that would produce a different outcome than if you just had a day between them, even if you only train three days in the same week. So you can manipulate the same outcome by changing frequency. So understanding how to dose those is, is the, the key fundamental aspects of training. And like you men mentioned, Marissa, that's where you could stop. You know, you don't necessarily need to worry about progression models uh, or, or tempo or, or the nuances of exercise selection. You could just set up a pretty good split and a goal of you know basic progression. I add I add load when I can. I add reps when I can, and then I take a break when I feel burnt out. Rinse and repeat, and that will get most people to a pretty impressive fitness level. After that, though, then there is the uh, progression chapter where we go into methods of periodization, uh, how to deload, how to structure your training if your goal is to peak strength or to get maximal hypertrophy, and how to think about interrelating that with uh, competitive outcomes. How do I get on the platform? How do I get on stage? Uh, what if I am a beginner lifter? What if I'm an intermediate lifter? What if I'm an advanced lifter? How do I even define that? Because it's typically been done pretty poorly 
uh, on the internet. Like, well, if you can deadlift, here's, here's a great one that I'm sure you guys hate, right? The strength standards that seem to arbitrarily only apply to 180 pound males, right? So <laughs> what's a good bench? Well, once you get the two plates, 225, sweet. Like, okay, great. You know, that's very helpful, you know? Um, but I think I frame it as uh, how quickly can you progress? Because that's ultimately the thing that cuts across everyone who steps in the weight room is that once you become advanced, it's harder to make progress. So seeing the, 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 the bar weight go up uh, in smaller increments is a very common experience of advanced lifters. And that's how I define it. And therefore, since you have a, a smaller signal to measure and there's more noise and you need to put forth a greater effort to induce overload, it changes the game a little bit. You have to think about doing higher volumes, which means higher fatigue, which means different distributions of training, which means a whole different structure to your training. And that's all that chapter. And again, now we're getting into those, those kind of higher echelons uh, that, that are really only applicable if you're trying to take it pretty far or you've mastered everything else. Uh, and then after that, we have uh, rest periods and then tempo in that order. Uh, and these are things that I kind of describe them as if you didn't think about it too much and you had decent instruction at the start of your lifting career from you know, a workout partner or a trainer, you're doing it fine, but you could potentially mess it up. And I, oh, I forgot one layer, exercise selection before both of those, apologies. Very important. Uh, this deals with stuff like specificity, accessory movements and how to spread out your volume so you get a proportionate hypertrophy. Or if you are a competitor and you compete in a different division, like men's physique or bikini, uh, how would you choose exercise selection that, that biased your development towards your goals, uh, et cetera, et cetera? How do you break plateaus and how, where does that come into it? Uh, how do you avoid, you know, overstressing a certain movement pattern if you have, you know, grot, not great lever lengths for squatting, et cetera? All that stuff's in there. Then we get into those two top layers of, uh, of rest periods and tempo where you were just trying not to screw things up for the most part with some minor details like, hey, there's a, an intelligent way to do supersets that might not hurt your, uh, your performance. Um, there's nuances around rest pause or drop sets and ways to do that effectively or less effectively um, and, uh, and details around that. Uh, but again, those are things that uh, I mostly am trying to deal with existing myths that are out there, even though the purpose of the books is not to myth bust, because there is such a immense amount of information, both good and bad, people do have to unlearn things like, oh, I shouldn't eat fruit because it has sugar in it, like you guys talked about. Uh, so there is some degree that I, I must unavoidably uh, address those issues, even though primarily I try to empower people with information, not just simply debunking things. So now it's just, you know, a billion minus two things that they, they don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. And I think uh, that brings up a good point because I think one of the first times that I heard you say, uh, you know, not that you're against myth busting, but more so that you're empowering with information that's actually useful. Uh, the first time I heard that, which was probably a couple years ago at this point, I was a little offended because I was like, oh, I do Mythbuster Monday posts. What does that mean for me? Am I a fraud? Like, is is everything that I'm doing wrong? And so I freaked out a little bit and I was like, okay, this person that I look up to, so, so what am I doing here, right? And so that's a post that if, if you are following me and listening to this uh, on Instagram, then you know, you know that this is something that I've made a regular piece of my content. But I think one thing as I've grown in my own journey as a coach and as an educator, has been to make that shift as well. Um, not just, okay, well, you know, 
this is a myth that is re like very frequently perpetuated in this industry. But okay, what do we do with that? What is the applicable information that we now need to use moving forward so that we can actually get things right? And what should we be focusing on? Because a lot of times these Mythbuster Monday things or, or myths that we are seeing are those tops of the pyramids, right? Like keto is the best diet for fat loss because, you know, and that's not even up high, that's macronutrients, but you know, that's also a lot of times neglecting adherence for, or for energy balance for a lot of people. So a lot of people will take keto as I can eat as much as I want, as long as it's all fat and no carbs. And so we can't take that out of context. Um, and so over time, I've really had to just continually check myself when I'm coaching clients, because I think as someone who also likes to get up on stage, mostly naked and in a competitive atmosphere, um, and be a little bit neurotic at times when trying to get there, uh, you know, I can get really wrapped up in the weeds too, because I love the research and I love the nuances and the details and everything about it. Uh, but then when I have a client who just can't seem to be consistent, we can't talk about those things. And so early on in my coaching career, I would say, you know, hey, like, let's do drop sets on the last set of this exercise. And like, let's do an AMRAP or let's do this and that. And I've gotten really far away from that because my population has not changed, but I have been able to adapt to my population a lot better. So instead of focusing on okay, let's see like how masochistic you can be in the gym, just like me. Let's focus on, let's get you in the gym like twice a week and like, let's start there. Um, or like, you know, instead of focusing on, I want you eating exactly 30 grams of protein every couple of hours so that you have the optimal muscle protein synthesis rates. I'm thinking, okay, let's just like get your protein to hundred grams a day. Like that's, usually one of the biggest struggles that a lot of my clients have. And probably if you're listening to this, a lot of what a lot of you guys might be facing. Um, so I think as someone who tries to communicate this information, it's even hard for me to take a step back and be like, okay, let me just zoom out and remember what's really, really important here. I think that's really well said. And, you know, I, I know this is a bit of a tangent away from the pyramids, but I do want to talk about, um, the myth busting thing a little bit. Go for it. Cool. Okay. So I, when, when I came into the, the into the game, and I'm going to sound like an old, old grumpy man now, um, myth busting was basically what you did as an evidence-based professional. You followed the career arc of the guru by being an anti-guru. So you would, I mean, it's very similar to coming up on YouTube now. Basically, you just find people to talk shit about and, you know, that's, that's, that's your channel. And then you pivot whatever direction you want. Um, and then burn out in three years, but, uh, so fantastic <laughs> strategy, but no, but back in the day and, and still to some degree today, you would have the anti-guru who would, um, basically instead of their ego and high, high amounts of confidence and maybe their own physique or their own, uh, you know, accomplishments, it would be how, how good of a PubMed ninja are you? How good on the forums or on Facebook at the time, could you defeat your foes with, uh, with citations? And, and logic and all that stuff. And I think it certainly bred a, a, you know, a good critical thinking following, but not by intention necessarily. There wasn't a whole lot of time spent building up the critical thinking. It often became, you know what, let me check with in, in, insert name of evidence-based professional and see what they think about that. And I think I was one of those followers and I steadily was able 
uh, to build up my critical thinking skills by emulating, but I never really got taught to do it. So instead of basically having a couple people who I follow, who I would believe their whack-a-mole response to uh, all the information that came up, I thought, you know, what I want to embed in the pyramids is helping people to ask better questions because there's nothing to prevent somebody from going, oh, Eric Helms, he's got, a, he's got a PhD. Oh, he's a competitive bodybuilder. Like, you know, the standard way that we view people is we, you know, not everyone, but many people in the fitness industry will look at the letters after your name, your accomplishments, who have you coached? How good do you look on, on, on the gram? Um, you know, what titles do you have? How strong are you are? And I, I tick some boxes there and that's intentional. And I understand that I am playing the game to some degree. I don't like that I have to do it. I don't like that my abs gives me more credibility than some professor I know who is actually far more intelligent than I am. But I understand that that is a sign of credibility for a lot of people. And then I hope that once they come in and they start reading or listening to me, uh, they start to shift the way they view what is good information. And I talk about that a lot in the introduction of the books to, hey, instead of going, should I do five by five or three by eight, thinking, well, what is the difference between those? And why does this matter? And in moving people to ask better questions. And the pyramid exists as a lens to view information. So like you said, if someone hears a claim about keto, and even if the science is good, right? If, if or let's say convincing, because it's not good if anyone claims what, what, what you said. But if it's, the science is convincing to someone who's not trained in science, which is a very under, understandable thing to happen, if they go, hold on, but they're saying this breaks energy balance. That, that, that would mean it somehow keto invalidates the pyramid. And I've got a pretty reasonable argument here as to why you know thermodynamics applies to some degree to to uh, to the human body. Big surprise. Um, that can't be true. Instead of me going, hey, here's the energy balance chapter, and I'm going to debunk all the people who've said you know energy balance doesn't matter. Oh, it's not a closed system. Yada yada yada. Or my chapter on carbs was just about debunking keto, and my chapter on fat was debunking whatever. You know, I think. I think the, uh, if you're not gonna, going to be a myth buster, you have to build critical thinking up in people. And that's a more challenging thing to do, but it is a much more lasting impression you have on people that allows them to then go be a messenger. And they can now, like I said, be empowered, not be victimized by uh, all the BS that gets peddled out there. So I know that was a bit of a long tangent, I apologize, but there's nothing inherently wrong with, with, with busting myths. And I think it's especially important when there is harmful things out there uh, or when things are like at the cutting edge of science, that's very difficult for people to understand. Like there's a reason why, you know, I do mass, you know, interpret research for people. I understand that this is a, you know, a skill set that I've developed over time. Um, but I think all the time that could be spent attacking every new fad that comes out could really be better spent in giving people some, some basic uh, BS detection skills for, for what does come out. And that's, it's just basically a priority for the, uh, the practitioner and the other influencers out there. I love what you, what you said about that. And I think it's a, a really good point. And one of the things I was thinking of when you're talking was I, I have a client that comes to mind who is very, um, very anxious when it comes to a lot of different things in her training aspect. And one of the things I like to reiterate to people is you could have the absolute hundred percent best program. Like if you follow this to a T, you're going to see, you know, all these great results. Um, but if you don't like it and you're not going to adhere to it, then that doesn't matter. So if you follow a training program, that's maybe not as great, 
but it's still something that you enjoy and you're going to do consistently, you're going to see far better progress on that than you would on this perfect training block. So trying to get away from what you see on Instagram as the next best thing and really get again, focusing on the basics. And I feel like sometimes that's just not sexy and that doesn't sell and you can't gain a whole bunch of followers with your swipe videos and you're coming up with whatever new exercise you just saw. Um, but I feel like that kind of helps someone who's beginning their fitness journey and really just kind of taking a step back and, and trying to, again, like you said, apply those critical thinking skills and be able to say, is this what I need to focus on or is this pulling me away from my ultimate goal? Well said, I totally agree. Yeah, and I think that it's really important that we as coaches and practitioners set an example. So like one thing that I force myself to do because I'm like, I'm anti-fitspo at this point. And so I, I'm like, I don't want to post my body or my workouts. Like I, like I'm kind of against that, but like, you know, to an extent we have to play the game a little bit to get people, you know, creeping through the door. Right. And so I acknowledge that. And, and one of the things that I do is I'll put, I'll record a bunch of my training each day and I'll put it up on my Instagram story. Um, but it's always the same thing every week for like eight to 12 weeks at a time. And I make sure to make a point of that because um, again, it's not sexy. And I, you know, you don't gain followers by, uh, you know, posting the same exact swipe video uh, every single Monday of your leg day. That's exactly the same. That would be an awful looking feed. Um, but, you know, that that's the reality of really just hammering the basics. And I kind of want to go back to that. Um, and it's not even a tangent on myth busting, because I think it's really important that we acknowledge, uh, you know, I, I am a culprit of, you know, myth busting. I think it is important to start that conversation, but then also ask the question, what do we do once that myth is busted? Because like you said, asking better questions, being more critical, analyzing things in your own context. And then if we don't do that, we see things being taken in the opposite direction. And so one example that comes to mind is when clean eating was debunked and we went to if it fits your macros and everyone just took that all the way to the other side of the spectrum and they went, okay, so if clean eating doesn't matter and all that matters is energy balance. And so now we're, we're just at the, the bottom of the pyramid and with, with the macros at the second level, that's all that matters. And, you know, the, the other three levels might as well just not exist. And that is where people took it. And so when we say, you know, a majority of our work working with general population clients is on those first two levels, it doesn't necessarily mean that the rest don't matter. Um, and so, and, and I've referenced this in other podcasts um, that we've recorded already, but like, we tend to go from this one side that's an extreme all the way to the other side that's an extreme. When in reality, we really need to find some kind of a balance and, you know, a trade-off in the middle. And so, yes, energy balance is what's most important for when we're trying to reach a certain destination. But let's also not forget the behavior and the lifestyle, like you said. So is does our behavior and lifestyle encourage healthy living? You know, are we fueling ourselves with food sources that make us feel good and productive and give us energy to do our day-to-day -day activities. And that kind of falls into the micronutrient category, but also just is an all-encompassing way of living. Oh, that's really well said. I think um, it's, it's always been a, 
a challenge for me because I have what I describe as a, a quantitative bias. Um, I'm a, I like to manipulate small variables uh, to change my body for a specific outcome. And then I got into research. So um, if there's anything that, that would enforce it, you know, doing quantitative research would. But I think it's important to remember that you don't have to tell people to eat. Uh, they will do that on their own. That's a part of every society I'm aware of. And even if you don't track your macros, you do consume protein, carbohydrates, fat, and calories. And one thing that you, we must acknowledge as scientists that we often don't, uh, and especially as coaches, is that by measuring a, a variable, you are changing it if you're measuring that in humans. So we have a lot of data now that shows that if you track carbohydrates, fat, and protein, that can have an impact on your psychology and it can have an impact on your eating. Um, and indeed, you can focus on just the behavioral side of the coin and get outcomes on just the, the well, not just, but you can get in, uh, outcomes and changes in macronutrients and energy intake, et cetera. Um, you know, for example, uh, intuitive eating or other weight neutral approaches, mindful eating, uh, things that are not intended to result in changes in, in macronutrient diet often result in higher diet quality um, and better satiety, which results in sometimes lower energy intake. And you'll see a population that has been trending upwards in ter terms of weight gain become weight neutral, occasionally lose weight. It's not the goal, uh, but you will also see better markers in terms of physiological outcomes. So I think it, that's something I really try to touch on, especially in the second editions is that hey, just because macronutrients and energy are the base of the pyramid doesn't necessarily mean that we manipulate them by putting every piece of, uh, of, 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 your, of your meal on, on a plate and then on a scale and tracking everything and weighing it. And that became a really big focus. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's an important aspect of it as well that and that's why the behavior and lifestyle kind of has to be seen as a, that overarching theme always is that Yes, you're, you're focusing on energy balance, you're focusing on macronutrients, um, but does that, does that disrupt behavior and lifestyle? All right, now you've actually violated the pyramid. It's something to think about. And you know, sometimes the goal requires some, some disruption of behavior and lifestyle. Like for example, uh, if you want to be uh, you know, shredded on stage, that's not something that just happens accidentally. And it does have you know, costs as we all know. So now I really like what you said in that people typically when myth busting is done, it becomes, because it's done not very critically or intentionally, well, if not A, then B. Um, and that is a very normal human shortcut. Um, but we don't have to myth bust in such a way that it's just, let's tear that down and then, then, then you're left hard. We can myth bust in ways that are informative. Uh, you, when you myth bust something, you can explain why it doesn't make sense, what aspect of it you understood uh, and then maybe a better way to do it. And you can also, instead of, you know, just tearing down an argument, you can steel man it. You know, uh, imagine if the war, uh, the, the, the early 2000s and late 90s that had been, you know, against clean eating had been, you know, there's some really great aspects of this, you know, processed foods do have X, Y, and Z issues. Uh, you know, there, there are problems with satiety control. Uh, you, you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not eating, a, uh, you know, a really basic, kind of whole food diet, uh, you're gonna have higher passive consumption, you know, lower dietary fiber, uh, you're probably gonna eat lower, you know, lower micronutrients, all that stuff. However, it is not really good when we focus on 
seeing these foods as magic. Like I must eat tilapia at the end of my diet or something like that, or I can never eat X, Y, and Z. Um, imagine if the conversation had been like that, where we acknowledged all those aspects rather than just saying, this is BS. Like, why do you want everyone to eat rice cakes, fish, and broccoli all the time? And this is trash. And then let me throw up a picture of me eating, you know, insert, you know, candy or, or Twinkie or something like that, just to show that I can, na 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 I still got in shape. So <laughs> I, I don't know how productive that was. I do think it was useful shock value because it did change people's perspective. Um, if you thought it was impossible to get shredded eating a certain way and people proved you wrong, then you were forced to reevaluate your worldview. But at the same time, like you said, it's not a, th there are many benefits to eating whole foods, you know? Um, and it is something that uh, the answer was not, let's all track our macros forever, uh, because that is his own whole set of problems, doesn't it? So yeah, well, well said. Eric, I believe the magic food you were searching for was Pop-Tart. Of course. So. <laughs> that, 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 donut. that is how we got shredded in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, and that's one thing that I've come across as I'm making Mythbusters or I'm, you know, because I, I still make these posts. Um, but what happens is they turn into concept reviews. And then I get frustrated because I only have 10 slides and only so many characters in my caption. So now these posts are turning into, okay, well, if it's not clean eating, then let's break down like basically the, the first two levels of the pyramid and then maybe the third, if I have room on my slides and then I'll kind of do an overview of it in the caption. And then I'll talk on my story about it for like, 10 minutes. And then at this point, I've spent two hours on one piece of content that like 20 people are going to save. And then, <laughs> and then they're not going to come back to it. So that's why we started a podcast. Um, <laughs> so we can actually talk about these things at length. Um, and I, I really like your point about the uh, just tracking uh, when we're talking about adhere or not adherence, sorry, uh, energy balance and macronutrients, because that implies that we must track macros and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And I think that really plays into uh, one part of the books that I think is really important for both the training and the nutrition, which is the realistic, enjoyable and flexible components of training and the accuracy, flexibility, and consistency trade-offs when it comes to nutrition. And so with the accuracy, you know, the more accurate you are, the less, the, le <laughs> the less flexible you are, because if you're more accurate, that means you're cooking everything yourself. And that means, you know, you're only eating the food that you prepare. And I see this, you know, start to occur with clients who might be tracking macros for the first time. And then we have to inch them away from that edge. Um, and then, you know, the more accurate and consistent that you are, that flexibility dwindles away, but then the more flexible you are, maybe the less consistent you are. And those things all interplay with each other with diet. Um, and then with the, with the training aspect as well. So we have to kind of, I mean, I think those play into the, the behavior and lifestyle aspect of the pyramid where it really is the overarching, okay, well, what about your quality of life? Like, are you going crazy or are you able to do this and also stay sane and also maintain your relationships and everything like that? No, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of this comes down to what they call in uh, goal setting and behavior-based research, reducing friction. You'll hear people talk about that a lot. Um, and if you think about 
when do people who have good intentions, know what they're doing, set up a solid plan, even have good guidance, when do they fall off track? If we think about nutrition, it's often uh, the weekend, uh, holidays, or vacations, right? And we think about training, it is very similar times. And the, those ac the acronym REF, REFing yourself, realistic, enjoyable, and flexible, and the continuum between uh, flexibility and accuracy and, and nutrition are basically anticipating future friction. Um, because this is something that we've all seen as trainers, that when someone sets up a, a five-day training plan, they're all about it. And people, like, when people are motivated, it's a very challenging thing because they want to change everything. They want to go all in. They're ready to change everything, th destroy my fridge, you know, get a new one. I don't know why I'm getting a new fridge, but everything in there needs to change. And why not change the fridge as well? Um, I'm going to get a gym membership. I'm going to do classes on my off days. Uh, I'm going to do, you know, train Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, S Saturday, and then Sunday is going to be, you know, yoga or something like that. Uh, it, they go hardcore and they get all the supplements. And then because this is all kind of this one big effort, uh, it's easy to be disrupted and then to fall off because it is all at once. There's no time to really devote energy and thought an emotion to one of those behaviors that then becomes an ingrained new part of their, their process. And I've always found myself in a diff difficult position when I was a trainer is I don't want to discourage the, this emphasis and this effort and this willingness to just let's, let's go all in. But I also don't want to be blind to the fact that this is the fourth time they've done this many times, you know, and that I've, I've seen this happen before. I've seen this, this, you know, speed up to 60, blow a tire out and be like, screw it. I don't even want to drive anymore. Um, so how do I mold that? And I think, uh, it's basically anticipating future issues and emphasizing from the start. All right, this needs to be realistic, enjoyable, and flexible. It don't need to be myopic. I don't want to try to try to tear you down. I do want to direct that energy into something that will be robust against those common uh, things that come up. So if we are, you know, tracking macros, eating a certain amount of calories, following a meal plan, whatever paradigm you use, what's the game plan? For, for when the holidays come? What's the game plan for when your partner says, hey, do you wanna go out to eat on Saturday? You know, how much, how much resilience are you gonna need just to follow this plan? And okay, if we'll, willpower, no matter how good it is, runs out on everybody. You know, the, the saying in like the military movies, like everybody breaks from torture. Like if you are white knuckling a diet, everybody eventually breaks. You know, that's why bodybuilders aren't shredded year round, right? It's not for lack of wanting it. So. I think we have to think about, all right, so if I have a, a short-term goal of losing X amount of weight, it's okay if that's challenging, that's all good. And you know, even acceptance and commitment therapy would suggest that that's a good thing to acknowledge. However, I need to be thinking the entire time about what's the game plan afterwards. I can't be tracking my macros for my whole life. How do I make these changes and the things I'm learning from this period where I'm tracking macros, if, if the goal is weight loss ostensibly, uh, become things that are incorporated so maintenance is a reality and it's not something that takes effort. Likewise, how do I have a training plan that has inbuilt flexibility and is something that I enjoy so that I can feel like I'm still on plan when vacation comes, when holiday comes or whatever, uh, or, or when just life is normally happening. And I think that is something that is typically lacking when people go it alone or don't get good guidance. And that's why I wanted that to have be upfront in, in both books. And that's a really good point. And one of the things that I know that Marissa and I bring up with our 
clients is, you know, I'll have clients that have anxiety about going out to dinner and not being able to track something hundred percent accurate or going on vacation. And they're like, well, how, how is this going to mess up my progress? And one of the things I like to think about is, you know, what, what are your goals right now? Do you have a wedding coming up in a couple months? Because my advice to you is probably going to be different than if you're in a maintenance phase, um, or if you are trying to put on muscle, um, and so it's kind of like, hey, what are your goals? And so what can we what can we do that it's a little bit more realistic and flexible for you right now? Because it's like you said, it's not realistic to live that prep life, you know, 365, because that's that's not realistic. You're going to have to go out to dinner with your spouse every now and then or with some friends. Um, so we like to use macro tracking as a tool. And it's something that you can implement. If you have very specific goals, if you want to, you know, get a little more dialed in, um, but if you don't need to, and you are just maintaining, then yeah, you probably can enjoy a little bit more flexibility in your life. Yeah. Oh my God, Eric, you just spoke to my soul, <laughs> um, about all of that. Holy shit. Um, so that is the number one thing that I run into when it comes to starting new clients is they always hit me with that dialogue of, I am a hundred percent in, I'm all in when I start, I'm so excited to make all these changes. And I'm like, I love that energy, but like, okay, but let's like funnel that, right? Exactly what you said. Let's channel that energy towards something that is uh, more productive in terms of being able to apply it in every context. Um, um, and then, you know, I think another thing that we're talking about with, with tracking macros, I like to have conversations with clients about accepting something that might not be sustainable within a sustainable framework. So exactly what you said about, uh, you know, making sure that we're taking the bits and pieces and the habits and, and the principles of what we're doing with tracking macros in a bigger picture. So if I have someone who says, okay, well, I, I tracked macros for three months because we just dieted and now I'm reverse dieting and I, I'm practicing more flexibility, but I'm nervous about going out to eat. Um, you know, how would you suggest I handle this or, you know, a, a trip over the weekend or whatever it may, might be. My, my question to them is, you know, ask yourself, how would you handle this if you, you know, didn't have this knowledge of, of tracking macros, but like maybe you knew those principles, but like, how would you order if, if you just wanted to make a good decision in the context of what good meant to you at that given time. And so we're taking the principles of like, okay, let's center our meals around protein. Let's eat a vegetable here and there. And then, you know, let's, let's try to like stop eating when we're full and start eating when we're hungry. And let's not ignore that because I think we can get so blinded by, um, and this is kind of, you know, turned into a discussion about tracking macros and balance and lifestyle, but I like where it's going because, uh, you know, that's, that's a big part of, of the balance and lifestyle portion of the nutrition pyramid, but, you know, taking those principles and really focusing on what am I taking away from this? Like Christina said, these are tools in your tool belt. And you can bring them back whenever you need to use them, whenever you need to dial in for a diet, or you can put them away when you want to be more flexible. But it's about, and I think the overarching piece of this conversation is really about always being aware of your own context and your context is ever changing. And that is a conversation that I have over and over and over again with clients. And I'm constantly asking them, well, you're asking me this question, but 
does it make sense in the context that you're in right now? You know, you're, you just had a baby and you're asking me how to look like you did when you were uh, in college and taking part-time classes and working out four hours a day. That doesn't make sense in your context now. And so um, I'm always having that conversation. I think it's one of the biggest takeaways that we can, we can take from this. Yeah, absolutely. I think being able to take the framework and apply it to your situation is, is the holy grail uh, of all this stuff. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's not easy. It's challenging. And that's, I think, probably the value of coaches. Um, and that's some of the people who have given me the most positive feedback on the books is those who don't just use it for themselves. Uh, those who need to have, like you said, a tool belt so they can apply all the various concepts through their own system and, and, and the individual context of all the people who come to them. So, I mean, that, that is basically what coaching is when, when you think about it um, through the various domains of someone's life and you're trying to, to help them figure out the pathway from, from, from X to Z and that's not Y to Z. I don't know the alphabet, but getting from one place to another you know, in, in their own life for sure. A to Z, maybe. Yeah, apparently, I, I they only hired me in like the last ten minutes. Of their goal in this in this example. So, <laughs> and so to kind of just get to one more point that I really wanted to touch on in this discussion was optimal, and we kind of touched on optimal a little bit earlier in this discussion, but I think it plays really nicely into to where we just left off uh, with you know, okay, we're matching what we're doing with our training and our nutrition to our context, you know, for training, that means adherence. So if you can only get to the gym three times a week, if you're a full-time student and working full-time and you have kids, that's great. That's the best thing that you can do in your context. And this was something I was kind of thinking about as you were talking about it earlier was optimal really is this concept that we put on a pedestal, but ultimately it is just what, is the best thing that we can do in our context right now. And if we can do that, then we are doing what's optimal for us. And that can be kind of a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, I think, because we want to all treat ourselves like we're pro athletes and like our lives revolve around training and nutrition. Um, and not a lot of people can say that that's their reality. Um, so I think being realistic, and, and that is, you know, real refing yourself, being realistic with your expectations of, of what optimal is really going to look like for you. Well, first of all, it sets the bar in a nice place where you can actually hit it. And then, you know, second of all, you can feel successful doing that. Yeah. I think it also, we tend to, I think most people are, they acknowledge if you ask them the question, like, you know, do you see yourself growing and changing and having new motivations and new capability in the future? And they go, yeah. But unprompted, we don't really think of things like that. We, we tend to think of our, our current situation as, as the reality uh, moving forward. And one of the things I like to, you know, help people understand when they are coming to grips with, man, I have been program hopping. Uh, geez, I, I really have been going on a diet and falling off and trying again. Uh, like one of the things I noticed when I was doing all these Skype consultations is I had so many people who had tried to get to a certain body fat level and maintain it. And this was like their sixth time trying to do it. Um, so it's a difficult conversation to go, well, hey, maybe, you know, 15% body fat isn't something you can maintain. 
maybe we need to be a little bit higher than that. Like at what point are you not food focused? Cause that's the point where you probably need to be to live your life like a normal human. Who's not, you know, white knuckling it or, you know, I just can't buy peanut butter. I got to keep a lock on the fridge. Like that's not a way to live. You know um, that's something that, that can happen during contest prep that we joke about and it's funny, but not lifestyle really. Um, so anyway, in, in all those examples, I think it's difficult for people to acknowledge that you're only going to get better at this if you do it right. So right now, what is a hard pill to swallow is that th three sessions per week is what you can consistently do. And you really feel like that's not optimal. Well, hey, the beautiful thing about self-efficacy, and that's the, the belief in that you can do more and be better, is that it is a snowball effect. Uh, it, it's not a chicken or egg, it's both. So each time you, you set up a pin and you knock it down, you grab a piece of low-hanging fruit, the next low-hanging fruit can actually be a branch higher. And I think, the, I think we, we touched on this earlier kind of uh, metaphorically, that you can climb up the pyramid as far as you want, but you get to exist past that first climb, you know? So if you are someone who is just entering, you know, the, the, the realm of deciding you want to lift weights and, and change your body and, 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 and get serious about this, and you start with three days per week and you start, you know, basically just tracking calories and protein, and then you get away from tracking and you're just kind of, you know, you know, eating a little more intuitively based on habits. And then you decide, you know what? I do want to make a push, a conscious push where this year I'm going to really focus on gaining muscle. And you know what I should probably do? I probably want to track, you know, uh, my, my, my protein timing a little more. I want to make sure I get equal servings. I want to look at my quality. Uh, I want to try to get a little more uh, nutrition around training. I want to take creatine. And you know what? I'm going to try to make my schedule work so I can get four days a week of training. And I want to increase my volume a little bit. You can do that. And if that's a very reasonable place to go from. If you're training three days a week and you're already tracking, you know, in a broader sense and have some habits established, but that's not reasonable if you just started lifting last week and, and you just learned what the macronutrients are and you're likely to fail trying to go that far. But if you're bridging from each one of those experiences, all of a sudden you get to do more. And when I reflect on my own uh, athletic career as a lifter and I'm doing stuff that I wouldn't recommend to others, like trying to optimize my sleep hygiene. And I've got like a Fitbit and I'm trying to get my step count up and I'm trying to make sure I get, you know, more fruits and vegetables and, you know, making sure I'm more consistent with hydration um, and thinking about doing things like post-activation potentiation, all like a top set and then back offsets, things that are probably pretty small in terms of their effect and, and, uh, and their importance in the pyramid. But I don't really know how not to be doing all the other things that we've talked about because I've been living that life for 15 years. So that is a place that you want to eventually get to, but you never get to it if you shoot for it at the start and keep start stopping, start stopping and failing. You just keep rehashing those old tread waters and eventually it becomes this almost PTSD experience uh, with, with nutrition and training. So I think it's really important to, yeah, acknowledge that it, it, it may be not exactly as, as exciting and sexy as your start you wanted it to be, where you don't go from being someone who didn't even know what barbells and dumbbells the difference was to then being the fitness star who trains all the time and you just live in Gymshark gear and, and, and you blow up and it's this, this hero's journey of ascension to, to fitness. Um, instead, it's like, yeah, I train three times a week and you know, I'm, 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 I'm tracking my protein, I'm trying to get hundred grams. That may not be as exciting, but just 
think of that, that there actually is a journey and you can move forward and keep incorporating new things. And you get to be that snowball rolling down the hill towards your goals, which I think is the way I frame it when, when people give a little bit of pushback there. And I think that goes back to that kind of black and white mentality that if I can't be optimal, if I can't be doing every aspect of the pyramid, then I'm just not going to do anything at all because why does it matter? And so it's like, you know, you have a, uh, I'm, again, I have another client that comes to mind where it's like, if she has one thing off plan, well, then her day's ruined. So therefore I'm going to eat everything in my pantry because this is my one opportunity to kind of do that. And it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, 10 carbs over, I'm now going to be, you know, 300. Um, or so it's kind of that anal- I don't know, analogy. I don't know if that's the right term, but if, you know, you have a hole in your tire, you're not going to go out and stab the other three. So just trying to, again, build off of those small habits that still can make a really big difference. So if maybe 120 grams of protein is optimal, but you can only get in a hundred, well, that's still really good. And so don't freak out about that 20 and overanalyze it and, you know, worry about, well, when am I going to take my creatine at what time is, but it's like, just focus on the basics and you're still going to make great progress, especially if you're adherent and you continue to do it over time. Yeah. And I think uh, what we've said about opening up capacity doors over time, or just, you know, by creating in new habits very slowly, uh, this is something that I ask a lot of my clients to do is, hey, let's pick one thing that you're going to focus on this upcoming week. Like, let's just focus on that one thing. And I want you to nail it every day. And if we can do that, then we can add something on, or it might even just be, you know, one thing for two weeks. And, you know, until that person doesn't know how not to do that, like you said. Um, And I think that that is something that I've lived through. So I have not been doing this for 15 years. Um, I'm a little bit younger than both of you guys, Uh, but I, you know, have had epiphanies almost like throughout my journey um, about, you know, what living this lifestyle really is because first I started off and I was just gung-ho and I was like well tracking macros is a new thing that like Lane Norton coined and like you know all of this new information and like I was big into the myth busting like atmosphere and culture went hard on that did my first competitions um and you know then had my first off season and that was like a slap in the face of course and then you know trying to figure out okay how do i live without tracking macros but also like not getting totally fat and then you know trying to figure that out feeling like i had it figured out and then the next year uh competed in 2018 and then you know this past two years i guess since 2020 just concluded um, these past two years or a little bit over that have been like the real epiphany of like, okay, now I'm like two and a half years into like what I like to call my five-year off season. Um, and I'm finally like really getting like, okay, this makes sense. This is how I should have been doing it the last time around. And, and this is living the lifestyle. And so when we're talking about like titrating in these habits slowly over time, you know, it really could take a long time to build up to not knowing how not to do this. So Eric, like Eric said, he's been doing this for 15 years. I've maybe only been doing it for, for six, but you know, it, it does take a lot of time and patience. So like wherever you are right now, if that's, Hey, I, I train three times a week and I just try to get over a hundred grams of protein a day. And you know, that's where I'm at. 
And maybe your, your physique or your strength is not where you would want it to be. You know, we can't just have this narrow minded look at our present reality because I, and we always try to remind people of this with our uh, transformation Tuesdays and our side-by-side photos of like, this was me five years ago and this is me now. But like, I like, I, I really do like those posts and, and the idea behind it because it's reminding people to be very patient with the process and, and realizing that where you are now is just a stepping stone, uh, maybe up the pyramid, maybe not, but to a future self that, you know, you'd be really proud of. Yeah. So, so two things, one, probably the, uh, the more important one, I actually started training when I was five. So I'm only 20 years old, Marissa. So I'm very offended that you would call me old. Um, that's not true, but, uh, yeah. So the, the, the serious comment is that I think, you know, patience is never motivating. You know, it, it is a reality. We know it's true, but we know that in hindsight, you know, we know it because of the mistakes we made. And when we failed multiple times from being impatient, and then we just had to be like, all right, goddamn it, I guess I'll just be patient about this, you know? Um, but what I find is motivating is when you tie into the passion of the person, like, you love progressing every time you step in the gym, you love learning all these new things. You're obsessed about this, like your partner, and this is totally not my personal experience, gets mad at you because you won't stop reading these articles. We're supposed to be sitting down doing Netflix and chill right now. What are you doing on your computer again? Random example, never happened to me. I never got an ultimatum from my wife. Um, And that type of energy, I think, is really excited about the idea that, oh, this experience can continue. This journey is not just right now. You can be 10 years from now still leveling up. And I think, you know, sometimes I frame it and I'm going to expose how much of a nerd I am, kind of like a role-playing game. Like you're, you're level one right now and you, you've got your, you know, you got your rapier in your, in, your, in your buckler, but you can have a tower shield and you can have like a mithril blade and you can be like a level 20th, you know, uh, multi-class, you know, fighter mage. And you've got a long way to go and you get to keep leveling up. And each time it's going to feel good. It's going to feel like this. You're going to see that next step uh, rather than uh, you'll eventually get to where you want to be, but it'll take 15 years of hard work. You know, <laughs> those are the same message, but very different. And one is just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. And the other one is, oh, cool. Like, so there, there's a lot of different, you know, opportunities for growth here. And maybe I, I just need to focus on the first few steps in front of me, but they're all steps. You know, so I, I totally agree. And I think framing I think, is everything. Um, like I was saying, you know, you hit those, you hit those highs, you hit those epiphanies every so often where you're like, wow, I really love this or, or wow, like this really is working. And those come every so often. And so they'll come along the way. It's not that it's such delayed gratification that you literally have to wait until the very end. Because like Christina and I always talk about, it's about the process. It's not about the outcome. So if we keep our process focused goals at the forefront, then we're going to keep getting those highs from achieving those process oriented goals on a day-to-day basis. And it's funny that you say that because uh, earlier, I just came back a couple of weeks ago from visiting Christina where she and her husband live. Um, And there was one, I believe it was either a morning or an evening, but I had mass open on my laptop and I was reading it. And I was like, hey, like, did you know that like you you don't have to get like super lean to have like a really successful bulk? And Christina was like, shut up, we're playing taboo. <laughs> and that was our conversation. That's amazing. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. And um, 
totally not impeding on my relationships or anything. Yeah. P ratios, the <laughs> most important topic of conversation at any time. It's, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have one final question for you, I think, to wrap up this conversation. Uh, and that would be uh, one question that we ask all of our, our guests on this podcast. Um, but we're a relatively new podcast, so we are, you know, creating a tradition here. But we just wanted to, and this works very well with the context of our discussion, ask for your best advice for your clients, people listening, and anyone out there just trying to live a better lifestyle. What is your advice for them to see their best results um, to have a healthy and sustainable lifestyle? Yeah, that ties in really nicely to what we're talking about. I think um, I'm going to kind of go in the same vein. I don't know if this is the best advice, but it certainly seems like we've built a strong rationale for it. But it's to have, you know, a growth mindset, um, to, to acknowledge that you are at a point right now when you've decided you want to make changes. And that often happens because there's something about yourself you don't like. And I could very easily say, oh, it's better to come from a place of I am worthy to be better and empowerment. And you can nod at me and go, yeah, but I still don't like this about myself. And I think just be open to the possibility that it could be different, that you may be coming from a place where you could come from abundance, where you do like what you see in the mirror, or maybe you do think you could be better, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you hate where you're at now. And try to just imagine what it would be like to move forward from a place of, uh, I'm such a badass that I can do more and I want to see how far I can take it, uh, rather than moving from a place of, I want to be different. And uh, this is actually coming out in the next issue of Mass. We looked at New Year's resolutioners goals and people were more successful when they had what is framed as a approach oriented New Year's resolution rather than avoidance. And that means I'm going to do something rather than I want to stop doing something. Or if you want to look at it more from a existential place, I want to become something rather than I want to stop being this thing or this part of me that I don't like. So I think, uh, honestly, that that's the root of everything. Uh, that's going to shape your behaviors, the way you react to failures, the way you interact with others. And I, I can't, I can't emphasize how important it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I would put that, that forth as, as my, my nomination, given the context of what we've talked about previously. I love the approach worse avoid. Um, and I'm sure once that comes out in mass, I will hear about it from Marissa. <laughs> in the middle um, of taboo. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the one week I get with her a year. Um, no, let me just, but, let me just preface. It was before we started playing taboo. She was yes. getting the box mm. out and I was just idly laying there. I wasn't playing. I wasn't reading in the middle of taboo. That would be rude. So you feel like you have been wronged and mischaracterized. That's what I'm hearing. By this. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we touched on a lot of really, really good points. So just to summarize real quickly. So we, we came about your introduction and how you got into where you are now um, as a writer and bodybuilder, powerlifter, researcher, literally everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then we talked about the background of the pyramids and why you kind of created them. What was the need at the time? Um, and basically it was, you know, how to, the framework to how to have a conversation and um, help people kind of set their priorities. And then we talked about the 
strength, nutrition, the muscle and strength nutrition and, and the training pyramids, um, talked about myth busting and, you know, when people fall off track and how to kind of go back to that, that rough, uh, which is a realistic, enjoyable and flexible and talking about self-efficacy and how it develops over time. And your advice, which I absolutely love is to have a growth mindset and be open to something different. Um, so is there anything else you want to add? Is there anything else you want to plug today? We'll definitely link your books in the description of the podcast so people can definitely get their hands on that. I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate your guys' time. I think this was a really uh, unique conversation and, and framing of it all. And I think it went in ways that will help both coaches and people who have their own goals, um, hopefully avoid certain mindsets or mistakes that are unfortunately all too common. So I got nothing left to plug. I appreciate you guys having a whole episode about my book. So that's, you know, it's basically just a huge ad that I, and I'm just kidding, but no, I really appreciate <laughs> you guys have done a lot of uh, a plugging of my, of my, uh, my material. And I hope people do enjoy the books. And if they do want to watch an old, S3 recorded portrait mode uh, on, on a chair in, in a whiteboard room video version of this before you buy them, uh, you can get the uh, the version 1.0 uh, that's still available on YouTube on our, our, our channel if you want to check it out before you drop any coin. So yeah, just want to say thanks. Yeah, so we will definitely link the YouTube channel in the description as well. So if they want to find you on other social media, where can they find you? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the one-stop shop for finding anything I do is 3dmusclejourney.com. You can find links to the, the books, mass, which we, we, we referenced, my blogs, our, our YouTube channel, all that stuff. And then for more day-to-day -day content, not that I post every day, I'm a bad influenza. Uh, you can follow me at Helms3DMJ on Instagram, where I po post links to podcasts I do like this, research that's come out, uh, or, or their thoughts and reflections. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, awesome. So we hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You can find Eric on all the social medias that he just listed. And you can find me at Christy Lynn Fit. And Marissa is at Marissa Roy Fitness. And thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something from it. Please remember that Christina and I are not medical professionals, so if you're going to make any changes to your exercise or nutrition routines, please consult with your doctor or medical team first. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday here at the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast.